Hey, we love Burger King grilled dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. Mm. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Root, your host, and so happy to have you with us. This episode is with Jonathan Charks of Real GM and The Cauldron and lots of other places on the internet that are lucky enough to have him. And we wanted to go through the NBA season so far, and we were more comfortable talking about the Western Conference, so we talked mostly about that. Starts with the Warriors, goes on to the MVP chase, and college players and a lot of that stuff, and he has a story about 45 minutes in that I had no idea of and I thought was really cool, so stay tuned for that. But... It was a lot of fun to have him on. The entire conversation runs, I think, about 55 minutes. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah. How you doing? Doing well. Let's start with what your biggest takeaway is so far from the season. We're about 20 games in. Well, I mean, I think, obviously, one of the big ones is the Golden, the boys, the Golden State Warriors. What, 17-2? and two, Is that right? I believe they're 18-2 and two now. Woo. Yes, 18 and after beating Minnesota tonight because we're recording this on Monday. Yeah, the thing with me, like, everyone wants to talk. Stephen, uh, Mark Jackson, and Steve Kerr. But let's talk Draymond Green and David Lee. That, to me, is the story right there for the, the Warriors, is what Draymond Green's doing for this team. Ooh. I agree with you. I think that both changes are important, but it has completely changed the way that teams have to defend the Warriors while also making their defense so much more dangerous. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, like, even back in 2012, when Lee went down, they put Harry Barnes at the floor, and it was like a whole new team. That to me is like, that's the commonality of me, those two, these two great running, that 2012 team, they had the Spurs on the ropes for a second. They were playing great basketball. Yeah, I mean, to me, other than obviously Miami ended up beating them that year just with that crazy Ray Allen shot and everything else, I feel like in many ways that Warriors team gave the Spurs a better series than Miami did, which is crazy considering how young and inexperienced that Warriors team was. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while, but if I remember correctly, didn't they start playing with Boris Diamore at the four? Was that what it was? Yeah, they started doing that, and then the other big change was putting guys that were not Tony Parker on Steph Curry all the time. Okay. And once they once they started doing that, they put Danny Green on him a lot. They, they fiddled a little bit with Kawhi in that series. They did that more in the games in the regular season last year. But the Spurs realized that you could at that time, and we'll see if that's still true, you could hide Tony somewhere else, which incidentally is something the Warriors did a lot last year but are not doing this year with Steph. Yeah, I mean, that would be big for Steph. If Steph can, like, stay up on Chris Paul or TP. And also now with Clay Thompson stepping up, it's hard to hide from the perimeter. I guess you make go with Harry Barnes, though. And he's getting better, too. But I feel like he's playing more four, too, right? That's part of his improvement. That's a part of it. He He's doing that. And the other huge component of, of his game that's changed is that he's playing more with the starters because he is a starter. And what that means is that he's, instead of being the second or even the primary option in the second unit, he's the fourth or fifth option with the other good offensive players. And so what that means is his shot selection has gotten so much better because almost everything he takes is either open or a dunk. And that is exactly what you want for a young player who's yeah. still figuring out his aggressiveness. Right. That makes makes your life pretty easy. I, I remember when he was UNC, I was like, I like him a lot as a finisher, but it's like the way to get his own shot is questionable. He had a hard time getting separation, I felt like, on the on the drive for a jumper. He wasn't a great shooter. But yeah, him as a him as attacking closeouts is so much more effective, obviously. The other component of that with the Warriors that I think about is there was obviously the speculation there was going to be a trade with Kevin Love involved, and all of the guys other than David Lee, who hasn't really even played anyway, who would have been involved in that trade from the Warriors to Minnesota, their development would have been so massively screwed up 
by going there just because Minnesota is so much further from contention. Yeah, I mean, they're in a great spot. Like, all those young guys are really coming on. Even if you can ever catch a basketball, he's very helpful. But, like, I'm curious. What do you think about Sean Livingston? I've seen him do some really nice things already this year. What some people have lost sight of with him is he started the year pretty disappointing, but that's because he was still coming back from injury. I think he came back a little too soon. But now he's getting more in the sense of it. My concern, and this is, again, going back to the idea of Harrison playing where he's playing, is that there isn't enough shooting in the Warriors' second unit. But Barbosa is inconsistent, and Andre Iguodala is basically terrified, except for tonight and a few other games, of shooting. So that's a little bit of a problem. But Livingston's play, to me, has been very good. I mean, is he going to close games in the playoffs? I guess he could, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you could, and I think that Kerr, one of the benefits of being around Popovich is that while he's not going to be able to do the part, and he's talked about this, that was actually the first question I ever asked him, he's not going to be able to do the minutes reduction that Pop has done. I do think that he's going to incorporate some of the regular season as a laboratory ideas that Popovich has done, and one of those to me is Curry playing with Livingston, and I think that in small doses early on that can work. And then you build that trust for later in the season, heaven forbid clay gets hurt or whatever, but you have a a second ball handler on the floor. So if a team relentlessly denies Curry the ball, you have somebody else who can run an offense. Yeah. Like with all these guys that have their team, I'm looking at it. Like I don't even want David Lee back to be honest. I want Green and Harry Barnes playing the four. Let's play four back for 48 minutes and let's push the limit. I feel like with Lee, you become a good two-win team. With Green, you become a great four-out team. And if the Warriors don't win, they got to play four-out. That's, that's their role of the championship. There's definitely an, uh, an argument to be had there. I think with the way that their roster is currently situated, particularly with Livingston, I think that actually Lee makes some sense because you can run an offense through him, and if you're playing Azili at the, at the four, I mean Azili at the five, Lee at the four, then you have the ability to just kind of run the offense through him. But I agree with you that if you could get the right guys on the team from one to three to make it that you could play a true four out, I would really enjoy that too. I know he was always a pretty controversial player on the Warriors, right? I feel he must have been from the, from the not far. Like in terms of like, there must have been fans like, I don't like David Lee and fans who liked him, right? Over the last four or five years. Oh, absolutely. And and the other component of it that I, I try to mention a lot is that he's he's a good guy. He's been a very good face of the franchise until he got usurped by Stephen Curry because he says all the right things. He's very good with the media, everything like that. The thing with him that's a challenge, and this is true of various guys in the league, is that he's a good basketball player, but what he's good at isn't that important for winning basketball games because he's not a great defender. He's not a go-to scorer. He's a scorer, but he's not a go-to scorer. And he's not a dominant rebounder. He's a good rebounder, but he's not hes not in that, you know, Andre Drummond, Omer Asik mode. Because you could have, theoretically, Kevin Love is another example of this. You could have a dominant rebounder that's not a great defender if they're not playing center that still works. But you need something more from him. And right now, he doesn't have that something more. I, I can't see Dan Lee being a star on a championship team. He could be a star on a good team. And that seems like good guys around him. But they're winning in all four playoff series. I got a hard time seeing it. I also was saying with those fans, like the anti-David Lee fans, they must feel so vindicated. Like, how could you say anything now? Like, we told you the whole time, get him off the floor, watch what happens. I mean, that's a little simplistic, obviously, but there's a lot of truth to it, too. I mean, my God. They went from a good to, like, freaking phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, that that was the biggest adjustment. Also, the offense is just light years better now and more coherent and everything than it was. But, yeah, that is the largest change. And as somebody who was advocating for Draymond Green to start at power forward last year, it is a vindication. But at the same time, I feel like if you have a coach and you have an ownership and everything that is willing, and, and a David Lee who's willing to come off the bench, I feel like he does have a role on yeah. this team as presently constructed. So, what, But what you need to do is you need to be willing to have him primarily play that role, and then you have the ability to scale up if need be. You know, Let's say Draymond is in foul trouble or he's hurt, then David Lee has a lot of experience playing with these starters, and it's not like that group was bad last year. Their starting lineup was magnificent last year statistically. It's just that their lineups now are better than that. They're better than magnificent, and that's when you get to be – 18 and two, you have a 900 winning percentage. You know, you get to you get to make those decisions. But 
this team is really well set up in that sense. Yeah, I mean, to me, at the level of the game the Warriors are at, it's not really about the regular season anymore. I mean, it's great what they're doing. It's about winning three playoff series in the West. And to me, it's, it's how can Draymond Green hold up at the four against the West. That's, to me, what I'm watching for the Warriors. But I don't think Lee can do it. I think it has to be Draymond. And almost it has to be Draymond beating guys at the different game. Like, if he plays Aldridge, obviously Aldridge is going to score on him. But can he make, beat him on three-point line even that out? Yeah, and in some ways, even more importantly than Draymond beating somebody is can he have gravity at the three-point line? And that was the biggest thing that the Warriors lacked with David Lee, not shooting jumpers yeah. at all, was that teams could just have their big men live in the paint. And so when you had Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson, who have gotten substantially better at finishing, they were shaky then. And I mean, I think some of that improvement is also that they're getting better looks at the rim now because other teams' power forwards either they're, – they're playing further out than they were, even if they're not covering him all the way because they have to be closer – and so it's giving better driving lanes. And Stephen Curry's a magnificent driving player. I think people lost sight of that because of his shooting. He's a point guard. He's a point guard who shoots. He can do all the creation parts of it. And so now they can do that. The, the team that scares me with them, people talk about Memphis. I don't worry as much about Memphis as I do about San Antonio because San Antonio can, can make maneuvers with personnel that can yeah. negate that. And, I still think I, I was on Bay Area Radio on Friday and said that right now I would have the Warriors as the favor, a healthy Warriors team as a favorite over every other NBA team healthy except the Spurs, and that's a big part of the reason for it. Well, I mean, if you look at it, like, if the Warriors play the Grizzlies, that's your archetypal four-out versus two-in matchup, right? That's your two post players, throw the tempo, the spread pick and roll, place out the floor, place three. And I think if you're the Warriors – you have faith that you've got the numbers, that your system is going to work. Like, we got this pure four out. Like, I think that was like that Bulls game. That was a great – that's when I was watching that. And I'm watching Kyle Gasol score on Draymond. But it doesn't matter because Draymond's getting so many threes the other way. The Warriors are pulling away. But the Spurs can play four out. They can play Dio at the four, and that would be a hell of a matchup. Boris versus Draymond. Like, that would be something right there. Absolutely. And you can do some really weird things with them also if they wanted to put – Kawhi in they could do Kawhi at the four they could you could the Spurs have so much talent and they have so much depth that they can do things that they're yeah. not even fiddling with much now like they could they could run out a lineup uh, this the lineup that I've thought of for the Spurs for a couple of years now especially since Kawhi has ascended is Parker Manu Danny Green Kawhi and Duncan against Ooh. I think that I think that team is in many ways as much as I love Tiago Splitter and I really really do I think that team is almost impossible to defend on offense. Well, I mean, I, I think Thiago's big for the Spurs when they play the Grizzlies. Because he gives the – when the Spurs so great, they can play both styles so effortlessly. They can go 2-1 with Thiago and Duncan or 4-out. But I think with me, I still want 4-out with Boris because Boris, to me, man, he was the story of the finals to me. Was when, he, when he came in the game, he changed the whole series. And then really, in the, in the FIBA championship, he locked up Marcus Gasol. I guess the guy can defend Marcus Gasol and defend LeBron James. He's a guy who's 6'9", 260, can shoot threes, he can handle the ball. I mean, he, to me, was really the extra, the extra edge the last two years. I mean, one of them, anyways. To me, you go Boris and Kawhi. That's going to be tough for anyone, the Warriors included. Yeah, Duncan, I agree Duncan, with Boris, that. Kawhi, Man, and Parker. Let's go. That'd yeah, be a it's, it's series, incredible. It, w it would be. I'm already looking forward to the possibility of it. And it could, because of the way the West is structured, it could happen – in the second round or the third round, just depending on how things shake out. And that gets into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is right now it looks to me like there are seven teams that have pretty firm claims, if healthy, because you could get in those situations, as we both know, th that have pr a pretty firm grasp on being playoff caliber. And to me, that's the Warriors, the Rockets, the Blazers, and this is in no order, the Grizzlies, the Spurs, the Clippers, and the Mavs. Yeah, I think it's it, awesome it, well. Here. Is there any team in that that you think, barring injury, is more vulnerable than any of the others? I mean, I think all seven of those teams are really good. So, in the sense that I think, barring injury, I think they'll make the playoffs pretty easily. I would say, to me, the big edge is, I would say, is the top five. And I think the Clippers and the Mavs, because they don't play enough perimeter defense, to me, are definitely in the bottom two teams in that pack. I just don't trust those teams to get stopped in the fourth quarter of the playoff series. 
I agree with you. I think that they're both more dangerous, though, in the regular season than the playoffs because what one of the components of both of those teams is that they have the offensive firepower to blow inferior teams out of the water. And their perimeter defense is an issue, but what can help keep them afloat is if they basically don't lose against the 10 worst teams in the league. If they can knock all those out, I feel like they're both reliable playoff teams. Oh, that's what I'm saying. I think I'll kind of make it for sure. Like, I go to most of the Mavs home games. When some of these East Coast teams come in on a long road trip, and the Mavs just annihilate them with how much offense they have. It's not even a question. But, yeah, when it gets, then when it gets to a playoff series, though, you've got Jameer Nelson trying to guard somebody, and that's just not going to – that's not going to – don't give me some Jameer Nelson, man. I really – I've had to run up to him. Do you think that Dallas has the ability to add another another piece to make their – I guess it would be perimeter defense, but to make their weaknesses less weak? Yeah, I mean, I think the Mavs have to think perimeter defense. I, I would say that first-round pick, hopefully. I don't, I don't – the Mavs are the one team that they can trade all their first-round picks because they're not going to draft anyone anyways. So I think that could get you something right in the 20s, the first-round pick this year. Well, teams will buy for the jump on that, won't they? I think so. I think that if they're willing to give it up, I definitely think that somebody could give an asset. I'm not thinking off the top of my head of who that could well, be. We've, I've got two guys I'm looking at for the Mavs. My, my dream is Amon Shumpert. Like, I've been very carefully watching the Knicks. I'm like, y'all go ahead and implode. You, you, you turn every one of these players and you just kind of fire sale. If they can get Amon Shumpert here for a first-round pick, that would be my dream scenario. My backup plan is Gerald Henderson. You know what's funny? Amon Shumpert's a guy that I've been thinking about for the Warriors as well, because not only do they have their first-round pick, but if the Knicks were strangely interested in David Lee, because that sounds like something James Dolan <laughs> would be fine with. Man, if you called me trying to propose a David Lee for Amon Shumpert trade, don't ever call me again. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm talking more David Lee, David Lee oh, uh, pick and something, and take on Bargnani's just dumpster fire of a contract. Yeah. Because well, like Stump um, is so great on a contending team because he can handle, he can shoot threes and play great defense in multiple positions. So you just slide him in somewhere, it's done. It's not too much. They don't overthink it too much. Do you remember what the rumor was that he was going to be going to Oklahoma City? Do you remember what the terms of that were? I believe it was the second first round pick, the um, famous Josh. I think that was the Josh Houston pick, but I don't know if it ever really went down. I'm not sure if the Knicks were really going to do it. I mean, he's a good player. The, the story that I've heard is that at least one team, I think it was them, it was one team, might have been the Clippers, were pretty convinced that it was happening, and then it didn't. Yeah, I think it was the Thunder, though. And oh, then the it Thunder, just didn't. If Thunder missed that, they really regret, that's a regretful decision on their part. That would have been a great move for them. Yeah, especially considering how things happen with them. And that leads me into my next question, which is, knowing what we know right now, do you expect them to make the playoffs? It's hard to say. I've not watched them since KD came back. But I picked them before Tuesday won the championship. I mean, I got all, they got all the pieces. I'm not going to stop picking them now. They should have enough time. I mean, we'll see, obviously. But I think, like, nothing we know now from when we knew back in June really changed my mind too much for what's happened. They just got hurt. Hopefully they have time to make it up. They should have, with the age yeah. team kind of thrown back to the pack. What, what can help them with all these top seven teams beating, beating everybody else up and lowering the bottom curve to get in? Yeah, I think that's a big storyline with this is that we all talked about how deep the deep the bottom of the West was, and, and it is. You know, it's Denver, New Orleans. Those teams have played well. Sacramento has been better than I ever thought they would be. When they're and when they're full strength, get better. Boogie Cousins. When they when they're full strength, I think they're they're good, but they're not playoff good. You know, the Thunder right yeah. now are three three games in the win column behind Sacramento. I have zero doubt that if they can stay remotely healthy, that they'll get there. And then from there, why I think they're going to make the playoffs is that all they need to do is pass one team. While I think they're better than Phoenix on talent, I feel like somebody's going to get a bad injury and that's going to drop them. I don't know who it's going to be. I hope it doesn't happen. I always root for full health for everybody. But, yeah, but that's nature of the beast in the NBA, no question about it. Yeah, the, all, they, all they have to do is be, from here on out, be healthier than one other team. Yeah. And I think they're I th one of those top seven teams or Phoenix. And I think they're in, and I think they're going to do that. And people have been talking about how, Oh, you know, they will be jockeying for a position because you don't want to face Oklahoma city. I feel like they have a very good chance of coming up to the pack enough that we won't know what, that they're going to be the eight. I think they could be in the mix for the six, seven, eight. And that totally changes the calculus because if you don't know where Oklahoma city is going to be, then you can't do as much of that tactical losing as I think we're going to see. Yeah, I mean, I thought that's one of those things, like, that'll be, like, what, March probably will worry about that. For now, you win all your games, you see what happens. Exactly.
what do you think about Portland? Have you watched much of them so far? For me, Portland, I, I know they're playing well. I saw them play Golden State, and I saw Steve Blake trying to guard Clay Thompson. And I was just like, you know, I don't think this is going to work. Like, I, I like Portland a lot, but I feel like Blake can't win you a playoff series. I feel like they need one or two more players. Or the young guys got to step up. Whether it's Crabb, Will Barton, McCollum, even T-Rob, somebody. I don't think Chris Kalen and Steve Blake are going to get done. I agree with you. I think that even with tighter playoff rotations, I don't think that they're – I think they're a better regular season team than playoff team. They deserve a ton of credit for winning that series last year. I think they also faced exactly the perfect team for them, which was Houston at that time. I think Houston's a lot – going to be, if they can be healthy, a lot better this year. The big question with Portland, though, is right now they're sixth in defensive efficiency. If they can stay in the top ten, they don't even have to stay where they are. If they can stay in the top ten – that changes what they are. I just, based on pure talent, I just don't see it. Well, here's one thing about Portland, is LaMarcus Aldridge is a really, really tough playoff matchup. Like, if, if you look at the Raiders' last two playoff runs, they've been really dangerous. In 2011, people aren't going to believe me, but that was the toughest series the Mavs had, was that Blazers' first-round series. After that, game four was 2-2, and it was, it was even halfway-halfway that I was going to go. So... Of all the teams the Mavs played that year, they were the toughest because of Marcus Aldridge. Because you had to have Chandler guard Aldridge, which meant your, which Aldridge played 22 feet from the basket. Seems your best shot blocker is gone, which opens up the rest of the floor for everybody else to attack. And I guess any team you play, all that's going to be a problem with Aldridge. Because he just can't guard that guy. In terms of like a one-on-one unguardable player, he's up there with anybody. And, the, and they also have the other guys, what makes them so dangerous on offense is that they can, the other guys can hit open shots. So if you help off anybody, and they're all they're all pretty much good passers. So if you help off of anybody for Aldridge, then you're just going to be sacrificing looks for them. So it makes yeah, I mean, it in some ways a catch-22. Because there's the other in the league, those top five guys. It just, to me, I need, I need better ones at six and seven if I'm going to win the West. They're another team that I feel really bad because if they were in the East or if it was a top 16 format, I wouldn't be nearly as critical of them as I am because I just see them facing the other teams in the top seven that we've talked about. And I think that they have trouble with almost all of them at full, I think full strength versus full strength. But if they were in the East right now, I might have them as the best team right now. They might, I don't think, I think Cleveland is going to end up better. I think Chicago is going to end up better, but right now, I would say they played as well or better than anybody in the, in the East now that Toronto has fallen off due to the DeMar DeRozan injury. Yeah, I mean, the thing with – it's just we're picking it with these teams because the top of the West is just so strong. Like, like with the Mavs, I'm probably pretty critical of all the Mavs guys because, like, I'm just looking at them. And I'm not worrying whether they beat the Bucks or not. I'm worrying about they beat the, with the, the Suns, the Clippers, the, all these teams. And you play that level of basketball, and even the little things are exposed because these basketball games in the West this year are going to be something else in the playoff series. Anything, any, any misfits, you're going to get killed. Based on what you've seen so far, this is something I talked about with people before the season started. If they changed it right now to a top 16 format, how many teams do you think, how many teams do you think would make it from the West? I, I mean, that's the thing. I really have no idea. I think one thing worth pointing out, though, is this will never, ever, ever happen. Like, you might have thought about whether, I mean, really, never happen. I, I have no doubt in my mind it will never happen. Because if you're in the East, why would change the system? What's in it for you? Change that how it is now. That's a great point. I think that the top of the, yeah, the, you're right. Even the top of the East would have an issue with it. The only argument I think for that would be we all know that eventually it's going to change strength like it did before. That it could do that, or you could make an argument if Silver had enough influence with the owners to say it's for the betterment of the league. And you can make an argument, this is actually one of my favorite arguments I've heard, that the current structure actually hurts fringe teams in the East because instead of getting, you know, the 10th pick in the draft, they're making the playoffs and getting the 16th pick and then getting worked in the first round. So their benefit is a couple million in playoff revenue, but they're not getting better. And I think that's been a part of the problem for teams not really Boston, but more like what, what happened to Charlotte last year if they hadn't gotten the Pistons pick and situations like that is that these teams that shouldn't be making the playoffs, that should be picking around 10th, are moving back. And we've always seen that there's a drop-off in talent around that level. So that has helped perpetuate it a little bit. I mean, maybe. But I was I saw those arguments when I looked at the top three in the draft last five years. It's all East teams. I mean, it's unfortunate that the one time you could pick with Anthony Davis, that was just bad luck, I guess. But the East gets plenty of top picks. 
And, like, if I was a Toronto Raptors fan, I'd be offended if they even attempted this. Like, we've sucked for 20 years. Now we can be good, and you want to send us to the freaking West? Are you out of your mind? Like, let's go to some conference finals for the next five years. That's not our ballgame from the Raptors. the Wizards, right? Yeah, both of them. Like, we could be making some real moves in the East. If you go out West or something like weird happens, just fighting for a playoff spot. It'd be offensive to me as a fan to even suggest it. Like, let's just call it an amigos right there. Like, no way. That's a, that's a really good point. I, I want to see it happen so much that I think I believing that it's more realistic, more feasible, let's say, than, than that. Well, I, you're I, right. I you're right. It happen, but, you know, let's be real here. This is money. This is not about being fair. This is about, and also, Adam Silver has no pull with these owners. He's a new guy. They put him in the power, what, a year ago? He's not David Stern. Nobody, he's there with nobody. He has no strength to pull. Where do you think that we are right now in terms of, obviously it's super early, but where where do you think we are in terms of the MVP? Gosh, it's so early. I mean, obviously your boy Steph's up there. Harden's up there. I like Marcus Gasol. That's my, right now, my like, little dark horse. Like, is he a dark horse? He's putting up 21 points a game. And to me, once he added that to his game, the ability to score, he became a top five player in the league. So, right now I got Marcus Gasol right now. But I think DeMarcus Cousins too. I think Davis' team won't win enough so that he'll be too far out of it. So obviously his stats are unreal. I'll pop my head. Obviously LeBron is LeBron, but I don't know. It's not been like the same LeBron for now. I would say for now it'd be like my top guys would be Steph, uh, Harden, and Marcus Hull. Yeah, I think Harden's candidacy has been really underrated. He's probably helped a lot by how well they played without Dwight, and who knows how long that's going to keep going. But what people lose sight of with Anthony Davis is that in the NBA, and this is true of all sports, baseball has had this a lot recently, other than football, really, the best player very often does not win the MVP. LeBron was the best player in the league for a couple of years before he won it because those Cavs team weren't as good, and then they were good, and then he started winning MVPs. My rule for the MVP in terms of what I assume is that it's the best player on a great team. And I think we can all agree that New Orleans is not a great team. So he's going to have to be so much better than everybody else to get it, especially if right now it seems like the best New Orleans can hope for is one of the bottom two spots in the West. Well, because my thing also, I mean, Davis is awesome, but he's just really getting going. Like, comparing to like what Mark, how Marcus Saul and, and Cousins have gotten better as team defenders, like, they've gotten much better. Like, Davis is still a shaky team defender. Marcus Saul, even Cousins now is too being the defense, and that's huge. Like, Marcus Saul's passing. Like, Davis is not a great passer yet, which is no knock on him, obviously. He's amazing. But he's just getting going. And I feel like some of the things he can improve on, he needs to improve on for the team to be better. So I don't see him as MVP or not 21. The greatest statistics are. Like, I feel like right now, if I have Marcus Saul and you have Anthony Davis, I like my chances this season. I agree with you. And the other component of that is why I'm so frustrated that the NBA has never put, been the first league to do a most outstanding player and a most valuable player. Because if you had both awards, this would be a perfect year for it. You give Anthony Davis most outstanding, and you'd be happy with that. And then you give any one of the other guys we've talked about most valuable, because they have been really valuable. And while the Pelicans have been terrible without Davis on the floor, that is also because the rest of their team is terrible. So it's not surprising that the team with one of the worst benches in the league is bad when their starters are out. That's the way that things are. Curry's disparity right now is the biggest in the league of the guys that I've looked at because I have a strange, as much as I don't think that on-court, off-court stats are reliable, I just think it's fun to see how teams play differently without them. And the Warriors are definitely one of those teams. But what I like so much about this season is that we're getting this intrigue for the regular season and all of these kind of the MVP storyline and all that. But it's not coming at the expense of the playoffs. Whether it involves the same teams or different teams, the playoffs are going to have all their own drama. And I don't think we've lost any of that right now this year. Yeah. I mean, is there any chance one of the Thunder guys can make a run at this? They still have, what, 60 games? I mean, I don't know. Is that yeah. even possible? I'll promo my piece. I wrote a piece for Real GM last week that I put Durant actually number two in the most hey. likely to win the MVP. That's a good timing. Because there you go. Perfect. Yeah, and because and the logic is that there's an easy narrative for him. The team played really badly when he wasn't there. They can play like a house of fire because they're a really good team. And then what he does is he bridges that gap where he has the traditional stats because I think that's the thing about Marcus Gasol. I think Marcus Gasol could end up being the deserving MVP this year, but he's going to have a very unusual campaign, and that's hard. 
it's hard to do that. It's easier if you're the scoring champion, and Durant is yeah. likely still to be eligible for that. If he wins the scoring title and they win 75, 80% of their games while he's in there, I don't think voters are going to hold that he missed the first 15 games against him at all. I don't think they're going to hold it against him at all. I don't it know, might I, even help it's, his um, is Historically, the guys play 75 games. I really have no idea that. I'm just kind of curious. Generally speaking, MVPs do play in those games, but I think that this is a very different year in that sense. And the biggest factor in that is LeBron not being LeBron right now. Yeah. And so I think also with like KD, I want to see him and Russ lock in on defense. Like they got to win a lot of games. No more dicking around. Let's play defense right now. So let's see those two guys lock up. They can do it. Yeah, see them see them do what Demarcus has done. I mean, Oklahoma City has been a really good defensive team the last couple years, but. I've never seen either of them as the main force in that. They just have good interior players that have been big in that, and they're so athletic that they can do it. But, yeah, I think their defensive ceiling might be the highest in the league because they have athletes at every position, maybe other than the two guard, depending on who they're playing there. And they have probably the second best in the second best power forward defender in the league. I'd put Duncan over Ibaka right now, but that's because I love Tim Duncan's defense. I just do. But he's also a center playing power forward, so it's a little bit different. So they have that, and so if they can push it to that level and just dominate on both ends, I can do that. But what I was going to say about LeBron is, first of all, he hasn't showing that defensive impact that he showed in those prime years with Miami when he was just annihilating on both ends. I actually think Durant has a much, much better chance to win the MVP than LeBron because Durant has the argument that instead of not playing super well for 15 games, he wasn't there and his team sucked. So that's a lot easier of a case to make than, oh, I wasn't valuable because I wasn't good. I wasn't valuable because I wasn't there. Actually, in terms of a voter mentality, I think it works a lot better. Well, if you look at it, I'm not sure how often a guy changes teams, wins MVP. It can't be too often. I used LeBron, he missed the one year when going to Miami. That's always a big yeah. change, all the role adjustment, find my personnel. I don't mean Cleveland. I don't know Cleveland. They got change some pieces around them to get them comfortable again. And where it needs to be. That's what I'm looking at. With yeah, one of the big stories of the second half of the season. So this isn't even what's coming up right now. Is who's going to come into the playoffs the hottest? Because there are so many teams that are dealing with just massive amounts of turnover in various different ways. I mean, the Rockets are dealing with it just because Dwight's not there. I mean, you can you it can happen in season. Memphis had that with Marcus Ole and all that somebody I feel like is going to come into the playoffs just maybe they've won 10 of their last 12 or 11 of their last 12 and just dominating. And will that be enough? You know, it could be anybody. I think Portland could rattle that off too. And I'm not super sold on them. You know, it could be anybody. And also will anybody in the East be good enough to really dominate a team, a team that comes on? Cause generally in basketball talent wins out, but I, I think that we're in a little bit of a different spot this year, and I'm very excited for that. I mean, let's think with the East. Let's just cross that bridge. Let's see if the Bulls are going to be healthy. What happens to the Cavs? They could have a, a team good enough. You look at, like, 06 with the Mavs and the Heat. I'll go to my grave thinking Mavs with a better team that year. But it was close enough the Heat pulled an upset. So I want to talk about that. It makes me upset. But, you know, something like to happen again, I guess. That's possible at this point. So let's not... And by trying to let you out of the West, maybe you're, you're three seven-game series in. you got two guys injured. You look at 04 when Malone got hurt with the Lakers. One injury can always swing a series with any, with any team. I agree with you that the other underrated component of that is that they only have to win one seven-game series. And when you think about, theoretically, Chicago or Cleveland in, in the NBA Finals, is the talent disparity is a lot smaller with them in a playoff rotation than than a situation where – it's just a flawed Eastern team. Like those teams are really good. They just haven't showed it all the way yet. Well, so they're, they're, they've got so many pieces too. It just takes them a while. Yeah, they've got so much exactly. to figure out. When you tighten Cleveland's rotation to seven or eight guys, I feel like it's going to be even better than it has been so far. Much less what it'll be then. Yeah, I mean, also, yeah, they've got so much talent. I'm not really worried about them beyond the fact that they need interior defense. I thought that was at the beginning, and I don't think they're going without it. So, but beyond that, I think this would be a great team. And I think it's going to allow the good everything else. But let's try get that shot blocker. I'm not thinking they win the championship. Good point. You're close to this team. What do you think about what Chandler Parsons has done so far? Oh, man. Talk about a polarizing topic in Mavs land, Chandler Parsons. You know what he's finding out, man? Mo' money, mo' problems is no joke. 
When you make $50 million, everything you do is scrutinized endlessly. <laughs> like, they're not cutting yeah. you any slack. Yeah, he went from being an overachiever to being the biggest, the highest paid guy on a team that has Dirk Nowitzki and Tyson Chandler on it. Monte, too. I mean, there's no question about who the three best players in this team are, and ain't Chandler Parsons. I feel like he's, it's been a tough adjustment for him, and I think he's just figuring out how he fits in with this team, how to adjust his game. Like, get back to me, like, in February. The main thing with him is his freaking jumper, man. It's so flat. Some nights he's just not there. That thing is not getting him much leeway going in the basket. He's line driving the hell out of that. So when a shot's not there and you've got Dirk and Monte holding the ball a lot, it's like, what are you going to do then? That's all. That's really the only thing that's a problem. Do you think it could help him to play with the second unit a little bit and just get some confidence running the ship? It's so different with Carlisle because, like, he staggers Dirk and Monte's minutes a lot. And really, Carlisle has, like, eight units he's, he's through the game. It's really interesting what he does in his team. Like, that's the guy who maximizes players every night, Carlisle. Like, he'll get guys in for three or four minute stretches. Like, what he did with Jay Carter last year, I wrote an article about this. It was magnificent. He got him 15 minutes a game in the exact situation to make him a good player with, like, two stars, two bench guys. So, like, Parsons has about two or three units that are his units. He was okay in those. He's been a good player for the Mavs. I have no real complaints. But to be honest, Trevor Reeves would be a better fit here than Parsons. Parsons. No doubt in my mind about that. I'll definitely agree with that. And I've been very encouraged that how quickly and how well he's fit in in Houston. Yeah, I mean, you just look at it like, they went from a guy who plays good defense to an elite defender and a good shooter to an elite shooter. And he's just a perfect fit. Like, to me, Houston is the dark horse. When they get Dwight and T. Jones healthy, that five, man, is no joke. That is a serious starting five right there. And it's a starting five that poses problems for all of the other elite teams in the West because they have quality defenders at three important niches. They have a guard yep. defender in Patrick Beverly, they have a perimeter defender in Trevor Reza, and they have a big man interior defender in Dwight. So there are very few teams that can handle that very well. Patrick, if you want to think about the Warriors, Patrick Beverly hasn't always done the greatest on Curry, but he's also had some really good games, and he just makes people's lives miserable. Oh, yeah, Patrick Beverly, yeah. He's going he's gonna to make you know who he is in the playoff series. That's not about that. Like, you're going to feel his presence on you at some point. I really, really, just considering the history with those teams, I would also love to see a Rockets-Thunder series at some point. I mean, to, oh, to me, I think the Rockets, they're my dark horse team to win it all right now. I'm all saying, I feel like they're not getting a ton of publicity right now for all the injuries. But if one team comes out nowhere to go, I'm, I'm going to say the Rockets. Also, it's like with the Bucks, the NFL defense, you have a linebacker, a defensive back, and a defensive lineman. That's what I thought about when you talk about three levels. And then if you have T. Jones and Harden as your fourth and fifth defensive players, that's not too shabby. Like, those guys aren't great defenders, but they're good enough here, more guys. Yeah, the what concerns me the most about them is that they don't have a reliable second creator. Beverly's fine, but I mean, Harden's an incredible player, and he affords you a lot of flexibility in terms of point guards, but Isaiah yeah, Cannon, right I don't that. I don't think he's that guy. I don't think Papa Nicolau is that guy. And I worry with them uh, in a seven-game series, that's the one thing they really lost with Chandler Parsons. Yeah, is that, right. And that's something that I talk about. I've, I've said it on the podcast before, and I've written about it before. My biggest criticism, and I still levy this. They're, they're 18 and 2. I still levy it. The criticism of not doing the Kevin Love trade is that one of the key things in the playoffs, and you've seen it a lot with the Mavs, is how well do you function if another team can take away what you do best? And the Warriors right now, and this is the reason the Spurs beat them two years ago and the reason that the Clippers beat them last year, is if you took away Steph Curry, not as a scorer but as a creator, who's going to carry that mantle? And the new motion offense with Bogut does a lot to fix that. You can argue that that's going to fix it. But the Rockets went from, oh, well, if you do that, then you then you just do stuff with Chandler Parsons or you do things with Jeremy Lin as much as Jeremy Lin is a flawed player. You do all those things. And now, without either of those guys, they're just going to have to figure out who can do that if, let's say, the Spurs put Kawhi Leonard on James Harden. Maybe James is going to score anyway. Maybe he's going to dominate. He's a really good basketball player. He might win the MVP. But the Rockets got, on the offensive end, got more susceptible, even though I think their defense is now good enough to make it so that they can carry them in a, in a tougher series. No, I think you're right about a second creator. I think that's what they got that Jeremy Lin trade. They got a little exception. 
don't know how much it is, but it's enough to get someone. Actually, I got a trade for you. And I, I was trying to think, who would the Rockets get? The guy that doesn't need Isaiah Thomas. Because I watched the Suns in Dallas without him Ooh. on the floor, man. It was like watching a different team. Drivers and Bledsoe looked like they'd lost like fires off their life. They were having so much fun, man. Oh. <laughs> you, don't know, you don't know how much I love that idea. So I have their trade exception at about eight point three million. So yeah, you can and the rule of trade exceptions is you can't add more than that. So it would be that exact amount. Yeah. Eight million can get you a lot, and it oh, could get yeah. you Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> How about a first round pick and accept for Isaiah Thomas, right? Something along those lines, because need a second guy and he could be available. I think perimeter scoring is usually available to that line if you, if you want to have it generally. So I think I'll make a move. Them and I say the Rockets and the Mavs. Are both teams looking to make a move at the deadline? The other massive, massive story, and as we both write for Real GM, this matters to us, storyline with this is going to be how the teams that aren't contenders react to not being contenders. Because theoretically, if they wanted to, the Knicks could get under the luxury tax this year, but they'd have to give something up to unload that kind of salary. One of my favorite things about this year so far has been how entertaining the basketball has been. It's been so much fun to watch. And even some of the teams that aren't as good, I watched a lot of the Celtics-Wizards game today and their game, I think it was yesterday. And even teams like that that are a little bit out of it are still super fun this year. And yeah, there are teams like Detroit that are just travesties. And that always happens. That's not a surprise. I'm so pleased with the overall quality and enjoyment of the games, even in the early stretch, which we often think of as the worst part of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to judge that because I watch so much basketball all kind of bunch together. But definitely, like, I have first lot of college basketball, and then when I, when I get to watch this, like, Suns-Clippers game, it's like, wow, this is, this is basketball, man. This college stuff, it's okay, but these guys are playing basketball out here. No doubt about that. Covering and watching pro basketball regularly has effectively – killed my intense love for college basketball. I still like the pageantry of it, and I'm still invested. I still have my school and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm a big draft guy, so I like thinking about it from the NBA perspective. But the refereeing and the 35-second shot clock and all that stuff, it has made it so hard for me to just regularly watch it and enjoy it. Whereas when I was in college, let's say, I, I could live on that. I didn't watch I, I watched the NBA, but I didn't watch it as much, and I lived off that. And now, you know, I'll watch Kevon Looney, I'll watch the Kentucky Steamroller, I'll watch Duke, you know, I'll watch things like that. But just a Washington-Arizona State game that before I'd be like, okay, that's two hours that are yeah. going to be worth spending. Now I'll check my phone, and if it's close with five minutes to go, maybe I'll give it a look. But it's just totally changed the way that I watch basketball. I mean, I think, like, well, not for gambling in the draft. I wouldn't watch college too much. But, like, yeah, I'm just a fan. want to be entertained. It's just not even. I mean, obviously, right? What are, you, what are you even saying? Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. To me, it feels like what I used to feel like about high school basketball. You know, high school basketball, like, oh, you know, all the sloppy turnovers and all that. It has an amusing factor to it. And, I mean, March Madness is still unbelievably great, and it still has a, a level of intrigue that cannot be – that the NBA can't match because it's single elimination yeah. – and all that, but that's only one month. That's not the rest of the year. But yeah, as you said, the draft helps keep me in it because I love the draft. I love everything about the draft. So this year has some fun guys with oh, that. I have no already... question about that. Well, since we're on the topic, who has stood out to you so far in the college ranks of potential NBA players? Well, I mean, the story to me right now is the three seven-footers, Carl Towns, Okafor, and College Stein. I love those guys' games. Just love them. Yeah, you're you're with me on Cully Stein, aren't you? That he's going to be a, a good defender and that's worthwhile oh, yeah. in the league. I got a big like, thing every- coming on him either today or tomorrow at the Cauldron. Cully Stein, I mean, he really his offense has gotten so much better this year. It's amazing. He reminds me a lot of a less athletic but smarter DeAndre Jordan. That just kind of that that kind of game, and people knock DeAndre a lot. I was in college when he was in college, and people are right right around the same time. And people knocked him. I just saw in his game, I said, once he figures out the parts of it that NBA coaches can easily teach him, he's going to be really good at that stuff. And maybe the offense never comes. Like, he's never going to be Gio Okafor. He's never going to be Marcus Gasol on offense. He doesn't need to be to be a really useful NBA player. Oh, for sure. I got a good, uh, actually, a good DeAndre story. I actually guarded him in high school. I was a senior. He was a sophomore in the state tournament in Texas for private schools. And even then, man, 
the coach just said, hey, dude, he only goes left. Or left. I forget what it was. His son is right shoulder is left, so he can't do anything. And that's what we did all game. We just sat on his shoulder, and he had nothing he could do. And kind of like our sophomore big man, he forgot the scouting report. He comes into the game, and the hunter just dunks on him, like, back 10 feet. <laughs> and then That's pretty funny. Him, like, 15, 10 years later, it's the same thing, man. Like, I think about the call he signed. He's gotten better in two years. And I like DeAndre, you're right. He's a good NBA player. But Cauley Prime's gotten better in two years, so more growth as a player than DeAndre has in a decade, realistically. I mean, Cauley Stein is improvement this year. It's incredible. He's doing up and under. I saw what I almost dropped. I almost like, my jaws dropped. Like, whoa. If we call Stein those up and under moves, we're all in trouble. Yeah, I agree with that. Jaheel's going to be a monster. And I, people have been talking about how Jaheel's the number one pick. From what I've seen so far, I would be, if I were running a team, I would be more interested in Towns just because I'm obsessed with the idea of a five-out team that wouldn't suffer defensively, and Carl Towns could do that. Sure. He's like he's like the end point of the revolution, Carl Towns. But I feel like Carl Towns, though, is like, I kind of like, I want a twin towers team. That's what I want to see. Like, if I'm like, I want, if I have Carl Towns, I want to have Joel Embiid. I want to do something really, let me change the game real quick with some twin towers stuff. I want want New Orleans to sacrifice themselves at the altar and lose every game the rest of their season so they can't get Carl Towns. (laughs) Carl Towns and Anthony Davis, man, get out of here. Let's just go home. That's what I want. That is the only thing that I want. I don't know how it's going to happen. That is all that I want. I I guarantee you that Hinky knows about this Twin Towers business. If he gets gets Towns and Embiid makes it healthy, he can be laughing his ass off, man. He's going to walk around like, I am the smartest man alive. Y'all can't even talk to me anymore. And it's also could work out crazily well for them because let's say they don't get the first pick, but they get the second pick or like this past year where they had the third pick and hopefully MB comes back healthy, that they got the best player at the, th- at the three spot. There's a very distinct chance that even if you and I are in love with Carl Towns as a player, that Moutier or Okafor goes first and then they get him anyway. Yeah. Well, the thing with Carl Towns is he's a seven footer who can play with a seven footer. I guess, I guess for me, I guess I guess I'm being redundant. But like Okafor, he drafts him great, franchise center. But I don't know if you can play him with our seven footer. Carl Towns is that Lamarcus Aldridge, Anthony Davis thing, where you can get yourself two seven footers at the same damn time. And that's that's what I'm about. That's why I think you get something like that going. I know Mario Bell's doing. If I got two, like with Carl, Kentucky this year with Carl Stein and Towns, they've got one guy at the rim blocking shots, and they've got one guy at the three point line blocking shots, stealing the ball. There's just too much length on the floor. It's preposterous. Yeah, and as much as I think that the platoon system is is hurting them in terms of their ability to beat good teams, it doesn't matter because they're so much better talent-wise than any team they're facing. Well, I mean, if they play Catown and Collie Stein 35 minutes a night, it'll, they'll be impossible to beat. How it is now, though, I think they can't be beaten. I actually had an article about that in Real GM on Monday, about what Texas did against Kentucky. Basically, Kentucky's point guards aren't the best. That's their weakness. So I think that yeah. makes means that they are... They've got a Achilles heel, at least. They have a couple of them because their perimeter shooting is also very inconsistent. And so yeah. if you, I feel like if you just clog the lane on them, and that's, that's actually strangely – Yeah, it's pretty much strangely true of a lot of Calipari teams. That was also true to a point with the Derrick Rose Memphis team, but nobody ever did it because for whatever reason they thought Chris Douglas Roberts could shoot. Well, that was the epic why. loss for the John Wall and Bledsoe team. But they lost that 1-3-1 zone to Elite 8 West Virginia. I mean, that's yeah. like John Wall, Eric Brooks, and the Marcus Cousins, they lost the college basketball game. Like, it's, it's looking back on it now, it's like, that obviously should not have happened. That is insane. Like, those three guys in the same team, in the same recruiting class. I mean, that just get out of here. Yeah, it, I, people, when I was in, like, you know, when I was younger and everything, they talked about the, oh, if you could build different schools and have to play together as, in those allegiances as opposed to, you know, what they have now. I don't think there's any argument now that anybody would beat Kentucky. Kentucky would just demolish oh, everybody, and Calipari hasn't been there that long. It'd be ridiculous. I mean, because they still guys like Rondo from back in the day could still help you, too. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. they have to field two or three teams. Yeah, they could, and they could even bring back Jamal Mashburn, and they would ah. still beat everybody. Mash. Has, has there been anybody kind of less on the radar, as somebody who watches more college, that's that you've been like, oh, that guy's going to be p- – keep an eye out on that guy? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think this year to me is the year of the big man. Like, I saw Bobby Portis play SMU this year. I like him a lot. Bobby Portis is a guy – I don't know why he gets no recognition. He should be getting a lot. He's a lot of to me. Um, and then I also – for a big man, Jarrell Martin and Nikki at LSU, 
Those two kids yep. can really play. And then Looney at UCLA. He is really impressive, obviously. Looney as an NBA player is going to be so fun because he can do some things that are very, very unusual. He's an incredible rebounder for his size. I feel like he can defend threes and fours, and if you can ever teach him to shoot from three, he's going to be this weird, strange kind of hybrid forward that could play with a lot of different guys. I think you play him with stretch fours, you play him with threes, and you're fine. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been watching a little bit. I've only seen little glimpses, but that's one of those guys. Like, you watch him for like five minutes, you're like, oh, this guy yeah. is no joke as a basketball player. You're going to play and hockey pretty soon. That'll be awesome. The other guy like that for me, I haven't watched as much of him as I want to, but like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, he doesn't do everything well, but I feel like as long as he ends up on the right team, he's just going to make some coach so insanely happy. I mean, he's your classic everything but a shooter. And I, I like those players when MKG happens. It's like, man, please shoot. If he could ever shoot, all I'd say is it could have been all five. If, yeah. yeah. And I think that one of the things for a lot of talent evaluators is you think that you can teach guys to shoot, and in certain circumstances you can. But I think that some people have an, have an overabundance of faith that that's going to happen. And so basically you have to hope that the guy is good enough. You have to draft him with the idea that even if it never comes, will he still be good enough yeah. to play on your roster? I think RHC is good enough. I, like, I, I think so, too. I saw when um, Iguodala said he reminded him of him on Twitter. I don't know if it's a favorite this tweet after beginning as a freshman. And definitely, a lot of Iguodala in this game. Yeah, lots of Iguodala in this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gives him a little bit of mentoring considering the connection with the school. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to hit? The thing with the draft, I guess, is, is like there's so many good big men. And there's so many teams that already have big men. But I think this could be a really fascinating draft in that respect. Because to me, like the guard class this year, no one's really stood out to me yet. Ludier is a great unknown, obviously, going yeah. to China. But everyone else, no one's like, oh, yeah, this guy's definitely an NBA, a great NBA guard right now. Anyone for you, like it, guard-wise, that's like, okay. Yeah, not yet. I th- I think that it's I let me if I let me give me a second to pull up the list while we're doing that. You you're the one who wrote a wrote a good piece on Kaminsky versus Okafor, right? I think it was for Cauldron. Was that yeah, you? Yeah. I Kaminsky Kaminsky's a hard guy for me to figure out. He's a, obviously a very good player, but I'm so big now on the idea of rim protection that if you're going to convince me that he's going to defend power forwards, then I, I, that's a hard sell for me. So I don't. I, I think he's another one of those David Lee, good basketball player, not super helpful for an NBA team, but would be an assassin in Europe. But he might be too good for Europe. What I mean, the one difference from Lee is he can shoot threes. So like yeah. that, that, that that means to me like Spencer Hawes, and I've been I like I feel like Andrea Bargnani probably lost three point shot. He wasn't like an awful the awful player he is now when he could shoot threes. So I don't want I'm not a knock on him or anything. I say Andrea Bargnani possibly. Okay, the two guys that I've liked so far I haven't watched a ton of either, but from what I've seen, R.J. Hunter, I think I watched a little bit of him and I thought that he was a good talent. And then Tyus Jones is to me he's one of those classic late lottery, maybe early post-lottery guys who you don't know for sure that he's going to be a starter, but he'll be in that mix, and he'll just be a good player in the league for a while. And those guys are useful. Of, uh, you know, the... Tyler Ennis. Like, i got to watch him more, obviously. But, like, he's a good point guard. He's a smart player. But how big is he? How fast is he? And they talk are so good these days. It's just hard for that position. Yeah. And the league has so many point guards now that it's not like there's a huge need for it. It's, there's, it's not a position now. There's a big need for backups, you know, because teams need 48 minutes of point guards. But the starter quality is so ridiculous right now that it's going to take a lot to get into that mix. Moutier has the chance to do it, obviously. His, athlete, yeah. his athletic gifts are ridiculous. But, you know, you don't need five starting point guards. There isn't, there isn't that. It's not like the center spot or some of the other spots where you, if you're good, you're going to play. Yeah, and I think like, we're seeing that finally with Alex Len. Oh, I'm a big Alex Len guy. With like all these, with all these positions, I like I'm a big fan of versatility in the draft guys because you never really know how to come up with your team. You have plans. The plans can change in a, on an instant, obviously. So you want guys who can try different roles depending. That's why I like Aaron Gordon a lot coming out of college. I knew wherever he goes, they'll find him a spot to get on the floor at some point. He can do some different things well. Yeah, I, I worry a little bit about him, but he'll do a lot of the things that are there. And if, as long as you have a center who does the right things and you have a point guard who does the right things, then he's he'll he'll do he'll do what he needs to do, and he won't hurt you. So that's that's really important. I would love for him to get a jump shot because that would help. But that's true of everybody yeah, right? in existence. Pretty much, you always say that about everyone who can't shoot. Like, please shoot. 
Yeah. Like, these guys shoot three, shoot all the time. It's an important part of playing basketball, and it only gets more important every year. Like, there's going to be a few guys who can't shoot when the NBA time goes on. And now with Kawhi, I think everybody's going to try to make the argument. Everybody and their agent of the guys who can't shoot is going to be like, see, they can do it. It's a guy who didn't have a jump shot who can do it, and now he's the MVP of the finals. I mean, Kawhi, yeah. That's, that was like, that's Kawhi, what Kawhi did is remarkable because you don't see it very often. You think you would, but you just don't. Most of the time, you can't shoot in college. You can't shoot in the pros. It's, it's hard to look at most of them in all those years. But yeah, I'm looking at the list of guards, and yeah, like, Oubre, I don't think is ready. Hunter's good. He can shoot threes. We'll see if he's back inside defense. He's going to be a player for sure. Guard-wise, really, though, it's just, yeah. I'm looking at the list of guards right now. I like Nolan Powell a lot. I think he might be an NBA player eventually. He's so big. If you can have him as a backup. I like. Oh, the other guy I like, I haven't seen a ton of him yet, Pac-12 guy, DeLon Wright. I mean, Darrell's his stats brother. are incredible. But I think San Diego State kind of exposed him a bit. They really got him on yeah. defense. He's not a great athlete. But I think he's an NBA player regardless. Yeah. And that's a big line to draw is between NBA player and NBA starter. And I think there there will be probably be some guys who can do it. The other guy we haven't talked about him at all that I'm super high on in this class is Justice Winslow. I was just going to bring him up. That's the one guy I want to see a lot more of criminal life. He could be the I guy love Justice Winslow. I, I, I'm seriously considering – I haven't done anything close to a rankings yet, but I'm so high on him because – he has defensive versatility, and I think he has enough offense to not kill you. Yeah, I mean, and, like, that was, I think, the second plot of that Duke-Wisconsin game. If he locked up Sam Becker, he said, nah, it's over for you tonight. I'm getting into your trouble. Absolutely. Not doing anything. And not only yeah. did Decker did Decker not – I think his shooting percentage wasn't great. He took, like, no shots. I think he took five or six shots the whole game. He just couldn't get a shot off because he just was pressing them. They were, they were switching picking roles. They were trying to get athletic ability. Yeah, that was – Decker's going to be a player, too, but that's where you can see. That's to me, like, I guess, my only takeaway, I guess, is, like, these college guys, watch the big games. When play plays UCLA, or they play UNC. Those are games to watch. That's pretty strong some of these players, really, in the, in the big game. And anytime you can see a big man face a big man who might play uh, yeah. in the NBA, watch that, because those are the, to me, those are the only games that matter a ton. You know, the other games are good. It's good to see, it's good to see Halo Okafor score 100 against the Lilliputians. That's great. It's important. It does something, but for me, when you see those guys face other legit guys, those are the games. If you're a draft person, those are the ones to watch. Yeah, that's the thing. I guess if you're like, I guess if you're listening to this over the next few weeks, Kentucky guys like they play every big man. They play Looney at UCLA. They play Montrose at Louisville. They play UNC with like eight big men. I mean, they're, they're gonna. It's like a. It's like a. It's like a final exam. Kentucky's in town. If you get twenty in town, them you're gonna get an NBA player. That's for sure. But, Absolutely. We'll see. That's to me like Thomas Robinson three years ago. I remember a great player. I watched him play Kentucky. I watched him play Terrence Jones, MKG, Anthony Davis. And it was like, oh, we're just as big as you and just as fast as you. Can you dribble, shoot, and pass? And the answer was no. That's the NBA. That's what we found out. So, yeah, I mean, just watch those games against these big teams. Big on big. That's what's happening. Agree completely. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. Thanks again to Jonathan Charks for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Real GM and The Cauldron, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jonathan Charks. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S. Thanks again for having him on. The series is going to continue. I wanted to wait 20, 25 games. I talked about this a little bit on the podcast to really get into things because those early games, there's just such a small sample, and you can't really get a sense of anything. Look at the way that the Cavs played tonight. I'm re- recording this second part on Tuesday after they just beat the Raptors. Games like that, from both teams' perspectives, are really important to understand. So we're going to get more into that. The guest list is very strong. I've been working it out for this stretch before the holidays. I am in the early stages of planning. Probably going to do a year in review like I did last year. It was a lot of fun to do, even if it took some time. So that's going to come at some point in the near future as well, probably close to New Year's, maybe early next year, depending on availability. So if you have anybody with that or you have any other insight, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or you can email me, daniel.larue at realgm.com. I will read it. I will respond if I can. And thank you so much for listening. That's a very important part of this, and I really do appreciate and read your feedback. So... Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Take care and make it a great day.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. 